7. Let's look at this passage and we'll just start here. Mark chapter 7. It starts off in the first few verses talking about the legalistic Jews and how they had all of these traditions. They washed cups and plates and and they washed their hands and they went through all these ceremonial cleansings and they had all of these things that had become more important than the actual commandments that God had given, their traditions and stuff like this. And so it says in Matthew chapter 7 that they began to criticize Jesus because His disciples didn't go through all of these ceremonies and do the same things. And here's some of the words that Jesus said unto them in verse 6. This is Mark chapter 7 verse 6. Jesus answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites. You know, let me just point out for a minute that Jesus wasn't politically correct. (laughs) Jesus just says, You hypocrites. There's things written in the Bible about you. Isaiah wrote about you. You know, we're so afraid to tell people the truth. You need to tell people the truth. You, You can do it in love. You can speak the truth in love, but... The Lord spoke to me a long time ago that if I, if I don't tell a person the truth because I'm afraid that this might offend them, that they aren't going to understand, that maybe they would reject me or whatever the logic is, then you know what I've done in a sense? I rejected the truth form. I didn't even give them the privilege of rejecting it on their own. And the Lord just spoke to me and He says, don't you ever reject the truth for a person. You tell people the truth and you let the truth set people free. And it's obvious that not every person is going to receive it, but that's not my responsibility whether or not you receive it. My, my responsibility ends at my faithfulness to God to say what the truth is. And I tell you, we've got people today that are so afraid they're going to offend somebody and say something wrong. You know what? Jesus just said, well, hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites. There was another instance where Jesus talked about the scribes and the Pharisees and called them hypocrites. You whited sepulchers. You're full of dead man's bones. You look good on the outside, but you're full of corruption inside. And he blasted them, the 23rd chapter of the book of Matthew. And the disciples said, Lord, don't you know that the Pharisees were offended? And he didn't say, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't want to offend anybody. I ought to go apologize. No, he just said, you know what? If they weren't planted by my father, they'll be plucked up. Let, leave them alone. Let the, you know, the blind lead the blind. They're both going to fall into the ditch. Another time, man, he was preaching and he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And the people thought he was speaking of cannibalism. They thought he was talking about literally eating his flesh. And they said, you want us to eat your flesh and drink your blood? And instead of him saying, oh, you misunderstood, let me explain. That's the way that ministers would do it today. We would make it so, so clear that, oh, nobody, we don't want to offend you. We don't want you to misunderstand. Jesus just said, I'm telling you, if you don't eat my flesh and if you don't drink my blood, you have no life in you. And thousands of people that earlier in the day said, let's make him king. Thousands of people left him and forsook him. And instead of Jesus saying, oh man, what did I do wrong? He turns around to his 12 disciples and he says, there's the door. Do you want to leave? (laughs) Brothers and sisters, we we become wimps. People won't even speak the truth. We're afraid that the truth's going to offend somebody. 
I could stay on that a long time, but I just thought that was interesting. She says, well, hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. How be it in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and of cups and of many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, full well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own tradition. For Moses said, honor thy father and thy mother and whosoever curseth father or mother, let him die the death. Cursing your parents under the old covenant was punishable by death. Boy, in our day and age, we wouldn't have very many old people today. In verse 11, it says, But you say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, It is Corban, that is to say a gift, by whatsoever thou mayest be profited by me, he shall be free. In other words, this is saying that the money that you should use to support your parents, if you give it to the church, then you don't have to support your parents. So people who were rebellious towards their parents and didn't want to help their parents, but instead were bitter and wanted to punish them, all they had to do was take the money that they would have used supporting their elderly parents and give it to the church, and the church said, you're free. The Lord's saying, that doesn't cut it. And he said this in verse 12, and you suffer him no more to do aught for his father or mother making the word of God of none effect through your tradition which you have delivered, and many such like things do ye. And this is the verse that I wanted to focus on, that we say that God is a good God. We say that God is faithful. We say that God loves us. But in practice, most people don't live like God loves them. They don't live like they believe that God is faithful. They don't live like they believe that God is a good God. They're afraid that God is going to punish them, that they won't receive because they haven't been good enough. I had a woman come from Virginia this uh, last Tuesday to our Bible college in Colorado Springs, and she had COPD and some other things. And anyway, this lady was in bad, bad, bad shape and just in the throes of death. And if she didn't get a miracle, she'd die. And she came up and she had tears in her eyes and she says, I, j- I know God can do it. I just don't feel worthy. And I said, you aren't. And she just looked at me and I said, I can guarantee you, you aren't worthy. You don't deserve to be healed. I said, you deserve to go to hell. Every one of us deserve to go to hell. But the good news is you don't get what you deserve. I said, God is going to heal you because he's a good God. And it just set this lady free. Like she thought she had to be good enough. See, that is a doctrine of man and it voids the truth. People will sit there and say, oh yes, Jesus loves me, but then we hear that he loves me only when I'm lovable, only when I've measured up to a standard, only when I've fulfilled all of these requirements. That makes the word of God of none effect. Oh yeah, God is faithful to the people who are faithful. If you've done everything right, then God is faithful. But see, that's not what the Word of God says either. That's another doctrine of man that makes the Word of God of none effect. We say, oh yeah, God is good. And then we'll turn around and out the other side of our mouth say, He's so good, He's liable to make your your child born retarded because He loves you so much. And He's trying to break you and to make you a better person. And you know what that does? That just voids the Word of God. So here's what I believe that the Lord wants me to do. I'm going to just take these simple principles that God's a good God, that God's a faithful God, that God loves us, 
And I want to counter some of the major religious doctrines that I believe make those statements have no effect. And we've only got five sessions here, and so I'm just going to talk about five things, and I'm not going to go into great detail because I could minister five or six or ten times on each one of these points. I'm just going to make some of the major points. We've got a lot of materials back there, but this will, I believe, help you. And it'll help you to break some of these doctrines of men. People come to me all of the time just confused, like, why aren't things working? There's reasons why things don't work. And the number one reason is deception. We just aren't believing the truth. And I am not against the church. I am a part of the church. I believe in patching the boat from the inside. Amen. Not being outside, paddling water, trying to patch it. Amen. I am in the church. It's God's institution. But there's a lot of deception and there's a lot of things wrong. I bet you I talked to half a dozen people out there tonight who said I've heard more in a couple of months listening to you than I've learned in 20 or 30 years in the church. And brothers and sisters, that's not the way that God meant it to be. But most churches today are not preaching the word. They're preaching religious doctrines and traditions of men that make the word of none effect. And again, somebody has to just call a spade a spade and say that this is wrong and that this is what's hindering us from understanding and receiving the truth. So I'm going to talk about five things. The first thing I want to deal with tonight, and if um, you're new to me, if somebody brought you here tonight, have mercy on me, amen, (laughs) because I'm going to offend you right off the bat. But in my estimation the worst doctrine that is prevalent in the body of Christ today and that just completely voids all of these things about God being a good God is the wrong teaching on the sovereignty of God, that God controls everything, that God just supernaturally controls, that nothing can happen without either God initiating it or allowing, giving permission to the devil and allowing the devil to do it. Now, if you believe that, I'm going to go into some scriptures and I'm going to show you, I believe that that is not from the Bible. That is a religious tradition and doctrine of man. And if you believe that, then you know what this does? This ascribes all of the terrible things that are happening to God. This makes God ultimately responsible for it. That means that the war, that means that all of the rape, the murder, the divorce, the heartache, the problems that go on between people, the death, and all of these things are God. And you know what? If you are looking at this world system and all of the terrible things that are happening, and if you attribute all of this evil and all of this corruption and all of this bad to God, then it's impossible for you to believe that God's really a good God. Because there's a lot of bad things happening. quiet in this Presbyterian church. (laughs) And I know some of you are thinking, but God is sovereign. You know, I just happened to write down the dictionary definition of sovereign. Let me read this to you. Here's what the dictionary says. If you use it as a noun, the word sovereign means chief of state in a monarchy, or the second definition is a former British gold coin worth one pound. Of course, we aren't talking about that. When you use it as an, obj- an adjective, it's talking about paramount or supreme. 
I believe that God is paramount and supreme. He's the top of the food chain. There is absolutely nobody who gives God orders or makes God do anything. He is highest in rank, order, and authority. Second definition is having supreme rank or power. I believe that that's God. I believe that God is almighty. As a matter of fact, one of the bones of contention that I... I'm not even going to tell you which translation this is because you'll think I'm against it. But there is a modern translation, one of the most popular ones, that took the term Almighty God that was in the King James and substituted Sovereign Lord over 3,000 times in the Bible. And that's the translation that has basically popularized this term sovereignty. It didn't exist before that translation came out. Not in the, not in the degree and, and uh, didn't have the influence that it does now. And they just substituted Sovereign Lord for Lord God Almighty. I'm not against sovereign if you use it as paramount or supreme. Having supreme rank or power or the third definition is independent, like a sovereign state or the United States is sovereign. That means we are independent of Great Britain. We broke away and we are self-determining. That's great. God is independent. Nobody tells him what to do. And the next definition is excellent. It comes from a Latin word that means super, above. God is super. God is above. God is highest in rank, order, and authority. God is supreme. God is excellent. If you want to use the word sovereign the way the dictionary talks about it, man, God is sovereign. But I reject sovereign the way that religion talks about it because what they mean is that God sovereignly controls everything, that nothing happens. He is sovereign. He's got his hand in everything. And therefore, anything that happens, God is the doer of it. He either initiates it or Satan has to come and get permission from him to do it. That is not what the Word of God teaches. And I'm going to show you some scriptures on that tonight. But if you believe that, I guarantee you, then you are going to see a perverted God. You aren't going to have a good image of God. Let me just use this. If you thought that somehow or another, let's just take, let's just take your family. If every rotten thing that has ever happened in your family, the hurt, the words that have been said, the deaths, the divorces, people that have lost their jobs, people that have had health issues, people that have died. If just the problems that have happened in your family, much less the whole universe and world, if every problem in your family could be attributed to me, that I caused it or I allowed it, that I had the control and I could have kept it from happening, but I didn't. I thought that somehow or another you needed it. This is what you deserved. And so I gave approval and in a sense said, sick them and just sick the devil on you. You know, it's nice to be in Texas. Y'all understand what sick them is. I say that in other places and people don't even know what to, they don't know the difference between come here and sick them. But if I could have, if I caused every problem or sick the devil on you and, and caused every problem, whether it was direct or indirect, I guarantee you, you would not like me. If you could somehow or another guarantee that every problem you had in your family was a result of my intervention and my choices, I willed it for you, I guarantee you there's not a person in here that would like me and rightfully so. 
There isn't a civilized nation on the face of the earth that would let me live if I was in charge of all of the mayhem and the destruction and the death and the pain and the suffering. And yet, this is what religion is presenting of God, that God controls everything. I actually saw a television program. I won't name who this is, but I bet you every person in here has watched this guy's television program, still on television. And he interviewed a woman who her and her daughter were abducted at gunpoint, put in the trunk of a car, taken out into the backwoods in Texas. Both of the mother and the daughter were raped, and then the man shot both of them in the back of the head and tried to kill them. The daughter died. The mother lived through it, and she had some paralysis and problems, but she lived through it. And she was on this program testifying that we know all things work together for good. I know that God has a purpose. God is getting glory out of this. And that woman was saying that God caused that man to abduct her and her daughter, rape them, murder the daughter, leave her partially paralyzed, and God was getting glory out of this. That's demonic. Forgive me for being blunt, but that is demonic. God did not do that. God is not the author of the mayhem and the destruction that comes against us. And if you believe that, I know I'm being forceful, but the reason I'm doing this is because if you believe that, that tradition and doctrine of men will cancel out you believing that God is a good God. If you believe that I, if, if I was to commission somebody and pay them and say, go abduct this woman and her daughter and rape them and murder them, I guarantee you something would be wrong with you if you weren't mad at me. Now you could forgive me and you could have passion and say, well, he needs to be born again and you still show some things, but you ought to be, you ought to hate sin. You ought to hate evil. There ought to be something wrong with that. And religion has gotten to the point that, oh no, God works in mysterious ways. And we just say that somehow or another, God, this must be God's will. It's a cop out. It keeps us from having to accept any responsibility for anything. We can sit there and pray for a person and if they fall over dead, well, we know all things work together for good to God. We know that God works in mysterious ways. We know that this must be getting glory to God. If your child is born with a birth defect, rather than taking responsibility that you know what, we probably did something wrong. I don't know how many of you are as old as I am, but back when I was a kid, that people were taking this uh, drug for pregnancy, thiolinamide, thalidomide, and it was for morning sickness. Women were taking it, and it caused their babies by the thousands to be born with birth defects to where their arms were only about six inches long. I knew some of those people. God didn't do that. People took a pill that did that. They've proven now that if you're smoking when you're pregnant, that causes birth defects and stuff like that. But rather than sit there and say that, you know what? Maybe we're doing something wrong. Maybe something is wrong here. We just say, well, God has a purpose for making this baby retarded. God doesn't do that. Thank you for both of those amens. And you know what? It's some, some of you are feeling uncomfortable like, well... You're saying it's our fault? Well, it's not always your fault directly, but it's the fallen world. You know, it always gets me when people die and you go to a funeral and they say, well, we know that God has a purpose. We, and they basically say their number must have been up. 
as if God's got a date circled on a calendar that that's your day and your, your t- number's up. The Bible makes it very clear that God gave you three score years and ten. For those of you that can't handle King James, that's 70 years. And he says you can even live to be 80 years if you're strong. It's not a maximum. It was a minimum that he gave everybody. If you die under 70 years, God didn't take you. Somehow or another, Satan killed you. And it may, of course, there's things we can do. If you go out and become an alcoholic, you get cirrhosis of the liver. If you become a drug addict and shoot up, you can get AIDS and you can speed up the process. But sometimes it's nothing to do with you. You could be obeying the law and driving perfectly and somebody over here is drunk and they come across the median and hit you and kill you. And it could just be that we live in a fallen world. It may not be your intervention directly, but... It is not God that controls these things. This knowledge that if a person dies, God had to have permitted it. It couldn't happen. God's the one that told us, don't eat of this tree because if you eat of it, you're going to die. Don't do it. I don't want you to die. God didn't start death. Man started death. We're the ones that ushered death into this world. We're the ones that brought in corruption. We're the ones that cause the animals to go perverse so that now instead of them being herbivores, they're all carnivores. We're the ones that started all of that stuff. We brought death in. The world is a deadly place. And it just blows my mind away that religion has taught people that nothing happens but what it's God's will. If you believe that, you believe in a God that is not the God of the Bible. That is not what the Word of God teaches. Let me just show you a few verses on this. I know some of you are seething right now, but let me just show some scriptures. If the Word means anything, which I've come to realize that the Word doesn't mean a lot to most people. Most people believe what they believe, and they aren't about to let the Word get in the way. I was working for a lady one time. This is back when I was um, just getting started in ministry and I was painting her house. And (laughs) she was a Baptist lady. And I was telling her, I came out of the Baptist church and I was witnessing to her. And she just, she really hit it off with me and liked me. And she says, why did you leave the Baptist church? We need guys like you in the Baptist church. And I said, well, I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And she says, are you talking about speaking in tongues? And I said, well, I spoke in tongues, yes. But I said, you know, it was much more than just speaking in tongues. But yeah, I spoke in tongues. She says, well, that would kicked you out of my Baptist church too. (laughs) And I said, how could you say that? And I turned over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I believe it's verse 39, where it says right here, I said, it says, forbid not to speak in tongues. I said, right here. How could you say that when the Bible... And she says... Hey, there's lots of things in the Bible that we don't believe. And you know, when the woman said that, I just like, well, how do you reach a person who doesn't believe in the authority of the word? And I found out that very few people let the Bible get in the way of what they believe. Oh, this is what I've been taught my whole life. My aunt Susie, my uncle, my aunt, my, everybody's believed this. Here's what the Bible says. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us who are not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
Now, this is about as clear as I can make it. There's a, there's a thousand things that we could go to, but this is so clear. If the Bible means anything to you, think about this. It says, it is not God's will for a single person to perish, but that all should come to repentance. And yet Jesus said, there would be more people perish than there are people who would accept. He said, the way is broad and the gate is broad and wide that leads to destruction, but there's a narrow gate that leads to life everlasting. There are many that go in by the gate to destruction, few that enter in. That's Jesus' own words. And yet the scripture says, it is not his will that any person perish. So how can you say that God's will automatically comes to pass? God is not willing for people to perish and yet they're perishing. Why? Because God's will does not always come to pass. God is not willing that a single person die, and yet there are multitudes of people dying. Let me just say that God's not willing for a single person to be sick, and yet there are multitudes of people sick. God is not willing for a single person to be poor today. He came, the Bible says, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, that you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you through His poverty might be made rich. Jesus died to produce blessing and finances for you. It says in 3 John verse, um, chapter 1, verse 2, Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. I could go on and on and on and on with scriptures. God wants to bless you and yet there's people struggling. For people to believe that God is the one that willed you to be in this situation... It is a doctrine of man that just makes the word of God of none effect. It wipes out your belief that God is truly a good God. A good God is not the one that's causing sickness, disease, poverty, heartache, problems. God has perfect plans for you, but you have to cooperate. There is responsibility on the individual. There are some things that are going to affect us one way or the other because you live in a fallen world and it's not just up to you as an individual. There are some things that need to be done collectively. Like this nation, you know, we are in a spiral downward morally and in a lot of different ways. And you can sit there and pray, but you aren't going to turn this nation around totally by yourself. It takes some other people have to receive the vision. They have to get into agreement. And... Um, the Bible says righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. If the, if the uh, body of Christ doesn't impact more people and get people turned to the Lord and start living a godly life, then the ungodliness that's in this nation is going to destroy it. And so that's not just an individual thing. That, there has to be other people. So some things, we are suffering to a degree because of just the sin that's in the world. Now, the body of Christ is the salt and the, the light that can change this around. I don't want to get off on this. Let me just say this and I'll get back to where I'm headed. But I think one of the mistakes the body of Christ has made, they've become too political to where they're trying to get into politics and do this. And the real power of the church is not politics. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be citizens and vote and do things. There is a place for that. But the real power of the church is the gospel. The gospel is the power of God. 
And if we were speaking the truth and if you were letting your light shine at your work and in your family and all of these other places, then I can guarantee you as people's hearts change, governments would change. And that's the real power of the church. But we have to accept some responsibility. God has a plan for us. God has a plan for every person. And brothers and sisters, again, I'm speaking to many different people here. There's no way that I can deal with every instance, but I can guarantee you every person here, I believe all of us, I'm teaching on this on my television program, if you've been watching that, about how we limit God. I don't think any of us are thinking big enough. I don't think any of us are thinking strong enough. We're all limiting God. And yet, basically, religion has come along and said that, oh, no, it's God that made you a dud. It's God that made you the jerk that you are. God is responsible. It's God's will. And it's a convenient theology because that way you can just put your feet up, sit back and watch as the stomach turns on television. Take no responsibility. You don't have to seek God. You don't have to do anything. Que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. And it just is a convenient theology. You don't... Everything runs off your back like water off a duck's back because after all, it couldn't have happened if it wasn't God's will. You know, the people who believe that get, I mean, violently mad at me. I have had some people threaten to kill me. I have had some bad, bad things happen. And it always amuses me because I've actually had people stand up in my service before and say, that's of the devil. You can't say that. You're of the devil for preaching this. And I've turned around and used their own logic on them. Hey, nothing can happen but what it's God's will, right? And they say, that's right. And I say, well, then I couldn't be preaching this if God didn't want me to preach it. (laughs) And if nothing else, they have to stop right there and say, well... Maybe God doesn't control everything because I know you're of the devil. (laughs) But if you were to just follow this logic, I couldn't preach this if God didn't will it, if God hasn't ordained it. That doesn't even make sense. Here's another scripture. Look in Psalms chapter 78. This is a verse that I've been using on television, but Psalms chapter 78, this summarizes the children of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. And I'm breaking right into the middle of this. The Lord is rebuking the Israelites because they didn't follow through and do what God wanted them to do. And he's recounting Jewish history specifically when the Israelites came out of Egypt. And he said this in verse 40, Psalm 78, 40. How oft did they provoke him? Talking about how often did the Israelites provoke God in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Here again, in black and white, people limited God. Now, some people thought, oh, God is limitless. Well, God is limitless in himself. He can do anything. All things are possible. But God has bound himself by his word. And he said, there's so many scriptures on this. Psalms 138 verse 2 says that he has magnified his word above his name. 
Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says that God upholds all things by the word of His power. If He was to violate His word, the universe would self-destruct. So when God said, like in James chapter 4 verse 7, Submit yourselves therefore unto God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. God told you to resist the devil. He's bound himself by his word. He can't violate that word. If you don't resist the devil, the word resist means to actively fight against, then God, you could say, will not, but you could say cannot because he won't violate his word. He will not do something contrary to what he said. He is not going to rebuke the devil for you. And so when you're praying and saying, oh God, please get the devil off my back and then nothing happens, and you say, well, I thought you loved me. I thought that you were faithful. He is. He's faithful. He said, you have power and authority over the devil. You resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And if you don't take that responsibility and stand up and recognize that if you don't resist the devil, he's not going to flee, then Satan's going to eat your lunch and pop the bag. And don't blame God. The Bible says you're supposed to speak to the mountain. That's to your problem. Not speak to God about your problem. You're supposed to speak to your problem about God. You're supposed to say, sickness in the name of Jesus, get out of my body. Satan, I command you to stop. And yet most Christians are saying, oh God, please set me free. Stretch forth your hand and heal me. If it be your will, heal me. That'll get you killed. You aren't doing what the Word says. You are under this false doctrine that, well, God, it must be your will. Let me ask you this. If you think God is the one that's made you sick, why would you go to the doctor and try and get out of God's will? Let me just be as blunt as what Jesus was in Mark chapter 7, where he says, well, hath Isaiah prophesied to you hypocrites. I'm saying this in love. It may not sound like it. but <laughs> Brothers and sisters, you're hypocrites. If you say God made you sick and then you go to the doctor to get out of sickness. If you really believe God made you sick, then don't go to the doctor. Let that sickness have its full course. Don't take any medicine. Try and diminish it and minimize the effect. Let sickness have its full effect in you. If God really gave it to you, why don't you learn your lesson? You know what? All of you know that that's wrong. I'm not advocating that, but I'm saying that would be consistent with that theology. No, you ought to hate sickness. You ought to fight it every way that you can. And it is not God who put that sickness on you. It would be wrong for you to say God gave it to you and then you resist it and try and get out of it. And yet this is what religion is teaching that no... You couldn't have this. God must have a purpose. God's working some redemptive purpose on the inside of you. Right here, we see through the Israelites that we know God brought them out of the land of Egypt so that He could bring them into the promised land. He brought them to Mount Sinai and gave them the commandments and things. And so there was about a year's period of time. It was only an 11-day trip from Egypt to Canaan, but He had them stop at Mount Sinai. And within one year of coming out of Egypt, he had them entering into the promised land. He sent the spies and they were going to enter into the promised land, but the spies saw the giants 
and they came back with an evil report in Numbers chapter 13, and they said, sure, the land's a great land. They even had one cluster of grapes, one bunch of grapes. It was so big, they had to put it on a pole and carry it between two men. Man, it was, it was a great land. God had this wonderful thing planned. He didn't have 40 years in the wilderness plan. That wasn't his plan. His plan was to get them into the promised land, and yet they rebelled and said, they're giants. We can't do it. And they gave up. And they spent 40 years in the wilderness, not because that was God's choice. Now, it was a punishment of God, but that wasn't God's choice. They chose not to go into the promised land. And so the Lord says, you're going to wander in the desert one year for every day that you searched out this promised land. And that wasn't God's will. I think everybody understands that. And yet, that is inconsistent with the doctrine that God is sovereign. These, these spies couldn't have operated in unbelief and fear and have brought up a negative report if God hadn't have allowed it. Brothers and sisters, I'm saying this in love, but how dumb can you get and still breathe? <laughs> this is not what the Word teaches. It's just not what the Word teaches. God's not the one putting problems on you. Look over in uh, Romans chapter 8. I have to bring this verse out because people that don't know any other verse in the Bible know this verse. You will hear this quoted by unbelievers. People out on the street that don't know anything else know this verse. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. So everything that happens, even if it's death, even if it's tragedy, even if it's heartbreak, whatever it is, God causes this for some good purpose. He's trying to make you better. That all of your hardships are actually God working something redemptive purpose on the inside of you. That's not what this verse is saying. First of all, look at this verse. It starts with a conjunction, and... And means that this links the 28th verse to the previous verses. And if you went back to verse 26, it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps our infirmities, for we know not what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit helps our infirmities. And the Holy Spirit intercedes through us. And it's talking about the intercession of the Holy Spirit. And if you looked at that verse, it says that the Holy Spirit... Let's see, how does it say... But the Holy Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. What's the next verse, Carol? He that searcheth all hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. The word that is used in the Greek there for makes intercession is, I, I'm probably messing it up, it is something like parakletos. It's a compound word. And what it means is he takes hold together with us, is what that word literally means. And the significance of this is that the Holy Spirit doesn't just intercede for you automatically without you doing anything. And it's certainly not you on your own doing all of these things. But when you start interceding with groanings, then the Holy Spirit takes hold together with you and makes intercession. In other words, this shows that the Holy Spirit doesn't intercede for you until you start interceding. 
And as you intercede, then the Holy Spirit takes hold together with you and energizes it and quickens it and empowers it and makes it more effective than you would be on your own. And we know that all things work together. Now see, in the context, this is saying that when you are interceding and resisting the devil and doing what you know to do, then the Holy Spirit takes hold together with you and then things begin to work together for good. It does, things just don't work together for good for anybody and everybody. I heard a man one time that had just come from a funeral and then he stood up to preach and he had just done the funeral of two young people who were drunk and doing drugs and they were speeding in a car going too fast. It was raining. They slid and couldn't make a corner, hit a telephone pole, killed both of them. And he had just come from the funeral and he got up and preached, well, we know that all things work together for good. We know that God is using this, that in the mind of God, this was his perfect plan. Maybe God saw the tragedy that would come in their life And so rather than prevent this tragedy and have them suffer, he killed them. Boy, that is a piece of logic, isn't it? I've heard that so many times. Maybe God knew that this child was going to grow up and have problems and so just kill them. (laughs) Makes sense. In a perverse way. That's not what God's doing. God didn't lead them to get drunk and to do drugs and to speed on a road when it was raining. God didn't do any of that stuff. Those are just laws of nature. First place, Satan is the one that enticed them. As far as we know, those two kids, I talked to them about this. They weren't born again. They went to hell and he thinks that somehow or another this is God that sent those two young people to hell because it was somehow or another working together for good. Brothers and sisters, God didn't cause that. That's perverse. Let me just say this. You would have to be a religious person that has been brainwashed and made gullible to believe stuff like that. And I won't mention this name either, but one of the leading people in the United States that has major television networks and is one of the largest influences on our generation started off as a Presbyterian when they were a child. And this guy's sister got sick and died as a young girl. And the church said, well, God had a purpose. God took your sister. This was God's will. It's working together for good. And this person said, I don't believe there is a God. I don't believe God would do something like that. And then he said, if there is a God, I don't want anything to do with him if he killed my sister. And so this guy now has become a television magnet that has cited that example and has said publicly that he is using his influence to change the Judeo-Christian ethics of the United States because he hates God. And he's an atheist or an agnostic at best. And if there is a God, he hates him for the things that he's done. Religion did that. And because of it, there are many of you that have been exposed to a lot of ungodliness through this man because religion planted that seed of hatred and bitterness on the inside of him. Religion did that. That is a doctrine of man that makes 
the fact that God's a good God just had no effect. We say God is a good God. He's so good that he's liable to kill you. He's liable to put cancer on you. He's liable to make your marriage fall apart because this is going to be good for you. And then somebody who jumps off of a rock that they had a sign there, no diving because it was dangerous and they went ahead and violated the sign and did this and by their own admission wasn't seeking God and was living a life of rebellion and jumps into a pool and hits on shallow stuff and breaks their neck and becomes quadriplegic, starts saying God did this to them to get them flat of their back and it's worked together for good. God didn't do that. Now God can bring good out of it, but God did not do that. They did that because by their own admission, they were living a life of rebellion towards God and towards all authority. And their rebellion led them to become a quadriplegic. And now they blame God and say it was God's will for them to be this way. That's wrong. God did not make them a quadriplegic. So this scripture says, and we know. That means You've got to be operating in intercession and operating in a form of intercession where the Holy Spirit takes hold together with you and quickens it. And if you are flowing in supernatural intercession, then God can work it together for good. Notice also, this verse, Romans 8, 28, does not say, and we know that all things come from God. That's read into this verse. And people all of the time read this into it and they just, well, this right here says that everything comes from God. There's nothing, there's no mention in here that God causes it. But God can take anything, even bad things, and bring something good out of it. But this isn't saying that God is the cause of it. You know, in my oldest son, Joshua, he's now 30 what? 33, 34 next month. When he was one year old, he was uh, helping me load uh, lumber. Well, I mean, he wasn't loading. I was loading lumber in a lumber yard. <laughs> this was in Sigaville, Texas. And it was in August. It was hot. And he was running around the lumber yard playing. And it was a dirt, uh, you know, drive and stuff. And he was getting dirty and stuff. And about 2 o'clock, I mean, it was really, really hot. About 2 o'clock, he was... Uh, beginning to get sleepy and wanted to take a nap. And so he started to lay down in the dirt and he had already been sweating. And I mean, he would have been a mess. And so I rolled down the window on the cab of this truck and put him in there. And that cab of that, the window, the bottom of the window was over my head. So it was six and a half feet tall. And he had been wanting to get into that truck all day long. And when I rolled the window down so he wouldn't be hot in there and told him to lay down and take his nap, boy, he revived. And he got excited and he started leaning out of the window and I was on the back of the truck and he was looking at that side mirror and waving at me. And and so I went up and I told him to lay down and take a nap and he didn't do it and he got up again. So I even gave him a spanking. I said, Joshua, you got to lay down. You're going to hurt yourself. Lay down and take a nap. He disobeyed me. He leaned too far out of that truck, fell out of that window, hit his eye on the running board and landed right on his head on the ground. And, you know, he could have broke his neck. He could have done something really bad. I went up and, and grabbed him, and, of course, he was crying. And as soon as he quit crying, I, I said, Now, Joshua, this is what I told you. I told you to lay down. If you would have obeyed me, you wouldn't have gotten hurt. 
And I used that example to teach him something. I brought something good out of something bad that happened. But I didn't cause him to fall out of that truck. If he would have been like a Christian, he would have gone out and told all of his friends, my dad is such a great dad that he pushed me out of that truck. He knew I was going to do it and he made me fall out of that truck and I got a black eye and I landed on my head. I could have broken my neck and my dad did that to me because he loved me. If you could prove that I did that to him, any civilized society would do something with me. They'd arrest me. They'd punish me. That's child abuse. It's wrong. But did I bring something good out of it? Sure. I took the example. And when I found out that he was okay, I explained to him, now this is why you need to obey me. And I taught him something good out of it. But I didn't cause that. God can take bad things if you are interceding And the Holy Spirit, if you're seeking God, God can bring... You can learn something out of it, but don't blame God for it. If you've been rebellious towards God and just doing your own thing, you know what? You break your neck and you become quadriplegic and you're laying flat of your back so the only way you look is up. You know what? You could turn to God. You could learn that my way wasn't the right way. God, I think I'm going to serve you. I'm going to commit my life to you and something good could come out of it. I don't doubt that God has touched this person and that something good has come out of it, but God did not make them quadriplegic. That is not God's will. And for you to say that, that is a doctrine of man that just makes the goodness of God have no effect. You just nearly have to turn off your brain. To sit there and say, oh, God's such a good God. He made me quadriplegic. That doesn't compute. That doesn't fit. And that's what a lot of religious tradition is, is mindless stuff, just traditions and doctrines of man. And I believe that the reason it's so popular to teach this is because it takes all responsibility away from you, regardless of what you do. Be in rebellion towards God, be in rebellion towards your parents, be in rebellion towards God, ignore the warning signs, dive into a shallow pool, break your neck, and it was God's fault, not yours. God did that to you. You don't have to admit that I was wrong. I made a mistake. You don't have to admit that you ever did anything wrong. God made all of it happen. That way you can just be as carnal as you want to be. You don't have to seek God. You don't have to accept any responsibility. You don't have to renew your mind. God's will is going to automatically come to pass. And I know some of you are thinking I'm being hard. I know what people feel. When I I used to pastor a church in Seagaville, Texas, and there was a little boy who died in my arms, four years old died while I was praying for him. I prayed for him for two hours to be raised from the dead. And he wasn't raised from the dead. And you know what? I felt what everybody else feels. I didn't want to tell the parents that, you know what? It's my fault. I just didn't know how to believe. I didn't want to tell the parents it's your fault. You must have not been believing. I didn't want to say things like that. It didn't make me feel good. It wouldn't make them feel good. But I wasn't about to sit there and say, well, it must have been God that killed your four-year-old boy. You know what I told him? I said, God didn't do this. I said, either it's my fault or it's your fault 
or it's both of our fault, or maybe we just don't know. I don't understand everything, but I said, God didn't kill your child. And you know what? That wasn't comforting. We had a funeral service, and I did his funeral. And I tell you, I was tempted to say, well, God works in mysterious ways. They came to me when my dad died. I was 12 years old, and the pastor of the Baptist church says, God took your dad home this morning. He needed him in heaven more than you needed him. That's what they told me. That wasn't true. It was tempted. I was tempted to say something because it would have taken the pressure off of me. It would have made those people feel better. It would have put all of the responsibility on God's broad shoulders. He could handle it. I was tempted, but the Bible says, you know the truth and the truth will make you free. And so, you know what? Rather than me condemning them, I said, look, I don't know whose fault. I'll take responsibility. But I said, I'm sorry. I didn't accurately represent God. Your son should not have died. This was not God's will. Anyway, it's a long story. I won't take time to explain the whole thing. But the Lord showed them what the problem was. And it was very obvious after we learned all of the details. We didn't know all of the things that had gone on. But anyway, they had operated in fear because the doctor said this child would never live more than a month and it had been on borrowed time. And Anyway, a lot of things happened. Finally, the woman found out that exactly where it was that Satan had terrorized her and she was operating in fear. And the doctor said that the reason this, this baby was mongoloid and uh, the reason it was born that way was because the woman was so small and she had this baby in a, ca- a taxi on the way to a hospital in, uh, where was it? Nicaragua or someplace, someplace Latin America. And anyway, uh, the baby had all kinds of things wrong, but the doctor said you were too small, you shouldn't have ever had children. If you ever have another child, it'll kill you and kill the child. And the only way you even had a chance was to do it by cesarean Well, this woman, because I told her the truth that it wasn't God who did it, it was us somewhere that missed it, she found out exactly how it was that Satan short-circuited her faith and she stood and believed God to have more children. She had four more children, all natural childbirth at home because she knew that the doctors wouldn't allow her to deliver and she had them all at home. And when every one of them graduated from college, she sent me a picture of their graduation and thanked me for telling her the truth. It would have been comforting momentarily to say, well, God killed your child. And it wouldn't have made me look bad and it wouldn't have made them look bad, but it wasn't the truth. And in the long run, it would have... That tradition and doctrine of man motivated out of nothing but self-love would have hindered her from knowing the truth and she wouldn't have had any more children or if she had, they probably would have died or she would have died in birth. But because she got hold of the truth, she was able to believe God. She had four kids that graduated from college and the truth sets people free. I'm telling you, God's not your problem. This doesn't say that God makes everything happen, but God can take anything if you are interceding supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit. God can take bad things and bring something good out of it. I won't argue with that, but God isn't the source of it. And if you think God is the source of it, James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore unto God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. If God isn't the source, if Satan is actually the source but yet you embrace it because you've been taught that, oh, this is God putting this problem in my life to make me better. 
then you aren't resisting the devil. The word resist means to actively fight against. And if you don't resist, actively fight against the devil, he will not flee from you. And so Satan, through this doctrine, has lulled people into being passive and accepting to where they accept failure and they accept hardship and they accept problems and they don't resist it because after all, they would be resisting God. Man, that's a pretty slick deception. That'd be like your enemy sending enemy troops in and yet you embrace them because after all, this must be God. They came to kill you. And you, instead of resisting them and fighting against them, you're welcoming them into your home. You're embracing them and they came to kill you. They'll kill you. This is what's happening. People are dying because they don't know the truth because they're embracing these things thinking it's God's will. It says, and we know that all things work together. And notice this, it says to them who love God. Did you know not everybody loves God? So for those who don't love God, things don't work together for good. For kids that are not born again and are drunk and mixing drugs and speeding on a road and they die in a car wreck, that didn't work together for good. They went to hell. And that's not good. That didn't work together for good. You have to love God. And even if you're born again, not all people who are born again truly love God. Many get born again out of fear, out of all kinds of things. And there's a lot of Christians that don't truly love God. So this really narrows the people that this applies to. You have to be people who are letting the Holy Spirit intercede through you supernaturally. You have to love God. And the next part, it says, to them who are the called according to His purpose. What is the purpose of the Lord? 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8 says, For this purpose was the Son of God manifest, that He might destroy the works of the devil. The purpose of Jesus was to destroy the works of the devil. So if you are functioning according to the purpose of Jesus, that means that you are out to destroy the works of the devil. So put all of these things together. This is applying to a person who is interceding and letting the Holy Spirit supernaturally energize and take that intercession to a level where it's not just human, but the Holy Spirit is interceding through you. That eliminates the majority of people right there. And then you have to love God. And then you have to be a person who is resisting the devil, out to destroy the works of the devil. A person who is embracing the devil as, oh, this must be God. God is the one that put this in my life. It's not going to work together for good. You've got to be resisting the devil. You've got to love God. You've got to be operating in intercession. And if those things are operating, then, yes, whatever happens to you, even if it's death, even if it's whatever, something good can come out of it. God doesn't push you out of the cab of the truck, but if you, if you fell, He'll pick you up and you can learn something and He'll teach you something and something good can come out of it, but don't blame God for what happened. God is not the one that's made your life a mess. God is not the one that started death in this earth. Mankind started death. This was never God's will. God never intended on us to bury parents. He never intended for parents to bury children. That's not God's will. Now, God can bring something good out of it. Certainly, there's probably many people in here who are doing your own thing and just ignoring eternity, ignoring God, and all of a sudden somebody dies and your priorities are 
all of a sudden you're brought back to your senses and realize it doesn't matter how big a house I have and it doesn't matter how much money. That's not important. And you came to grips with the fact that, man, all of us sooner or later are going to die and probably some of you have turned to the Lord because of somebody close to you dying or some tragedy or, or something. Sure, God has brought good out of bad things, but God didn't cause these bad things. God created a world that was perfect. He had it so that there was no death. There was no strife. There was no division. There was no sickness. There was no poverty. There was no lack. It was perfect. That's what God created. Mankind created the mayhem and the tragedy and the hurt and the pain, energized and empowered by the devil who is going about seeking whom he may devour. And the slickest deception that Satan has ever put across on the world and primarily done through the body of Christ is to get us to embrace His work as the work of God. Because we won't fight it. We won't resist it. We'll embrace the devil thinking it's God. That's the worst deception in my estimation. This is the worst doctrine in the body of Christ. If you really believe it, why do anything? Why pray? Why study the Word? Why resist? Just... Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die, and whatever God wills will happen. Que Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. It lulls you to sleep, makes you passive. There is zero reason to resist the devil because in the first place, the devil couldn't do anything if God didn't have him on a leash and let him loose. Every word that I've said here tonight is a doctrine that I was taught. I actually heard a sermon that Satan is God's messenger boy. He's like a dog on a leash and he can only go as far as God will let him go. That's wrong. God is not the one who's letting him go. We're the ones that are letting him go because we aren't resisting the devil. We aren't taking our authority. God has defeated the devil. Satan is a defeated foe. But he operates through deception. We have to resist him. And most of the body of Christ is not resisting the devil because they've been taught that the devil is Satan's messenger boy. I mean, God's messenger boy. He's accomplishing God's will. There's something for me to learn through this. I'm going to be better because of my problems. It says in Mark chapter 4 around verse 17 that afflictions and persecutions come for the word's sake to steal the word out of your heart. Again, that's another proof that these things aren't from God. They are from the devil to stop the word. They aren't to help the word. They don't make you better off. Satan is coming to steal the word that's been planted in your heart. We've been told to resist the devil. Brothers and sisters, I don't know how to say it any stronger than what I'm saying tonight, but I'm just telling you God does not control everything. God is sovereign. If you're going to use sovereign the way that the dictionary defines it, I'll back that a thousand percent. But religion has come up with a brand new doctrine and a new definition that you can't find in any, in any dictionary. You can't find what religion says, that God controls everything. The word sovereign doesn't mean control. A monarch who is the sovereign in that monarchy 
They don't control everything. They may have a law, but I guarantee you there's lots of things that happen outside of their control. There isn't a single sovereign state in the world that you can go in and say that everything that happens in this country was caused by that sovereign. That's not so. The sovereign may have laws and they may have things they want to happen, but there's always people in rebellion. That's why we have armies. That's why we have police is to try and enforce and stop that. But there's always a section that isn't under their control. To come up with this definition that religion is made, that God controls everything. Everything is under his control. Nothing happens but what God wills is a religious definition that you can't find anywhere except in religion. It just isn't true. Amen? Amen. And I know that I've stepped on a lot of your toes tonight, and I'm not sorry. I don't want you to... I don't enjoy people getting upset with me. I would love for everybody to just love me and receive. But you know what? I feel obligated to tell you the truth. And I've used a bunch of scriptures tonight that if the Bible means anything to you, you're going to have to deal with this. I'm telling you the truth. And the truth will set you free. And if you could understand this, you know what? It would help you to embrace that God really is a good God. And it would make that truth become more real to you because you would quit attributing to God, the works of the devil. It would change your impression about God and it would show you a goodness of God that many of you have not clearly seen because we've embraced these doctrines of the devil. So I don't like negative response, but I I can tell you there's going to be a lot of positive response to what I've said too. There will be some of you... There will be some of you that have had very bad things happen in your life and you've just chosen to still believe that God's a good God but you couldn't understand it and reconcile it and you've kind of just made a disconnect. You won't think about it because you can't go there. And what this is going to do is set you free. The truth will set you free. And there's some of you that may have still been out of one side of your mouth saying God's faithful but on the other side you're saying God... Look at this problem that you caused. Why did you let this happen? If you were God, you could have stopped this. And now maybe you have some understanding that will help you to understand and embrace that God is a good God more than you ever have before. You know, I talked to two people tonight before the service that just came up and were crying and saying that, man, my relationship with God has gone through the roof. Les right here was one of the guys that I talked to and he was... Just saying, to me, that's the greatest compliment that anybody pays me is that after listening to you, I, I love God more than I ever have. And I understand that God loves me more. That is the greatest testimony that can come. And there's people being set free by this. Traditions and doctrines of men void the power of the Word. And... I'm not doing these things to be mean or angry. I'm trying to say the truth because I'm representing God. I know God, and I know God is a good God. God did not kill my father when I was 12 years old, and he was 54 years old. God didn't kill my dad. 
God didn't kill all of the people. I've seen lots of people die. I've been with lots of people who died while I was with them. God didn't kill those people. Their number wasn't up. God didn't start death. God hasn't caused hurt and pain. Man, we've seen tragedy in our own family. Everybody has problems. My mother right now, I mean, she, this could be her last night on the face of the earth. She's in the process of dying, 96 years old. And I've actually prayed that she would just go because she's really struggling right now. And she's ready to go. She keeps saying, I don't know why it's taken me so long to die. <laughs> she keeps apologizing. She's ready to go. But you know what? I'm not mad at God because of the way my mother's suffering. God didn't do all of this. This is sin that brought this stuff in. We brought this on ourselves. God didn't start this. He warned us. He told us, don't eat of this tree. Don't do this. This isn't God's will for us. God doesn't ordain the suffering. Certainly, He's brought good out of all of our suffering. All of us have learned something. All of us have learned, if nothing else, that we just can't solve things on our own. We need God. There's good that can come out of it. But man, it's comforting to me to know that God's not the one that's making my mother suffer and having these things that are just humiliating to her and hurting her. My sister is, is one that's taking care of her and it's hard on my sister. God's not doing that to my sister. God's not causing these things. God's not the author of our problems. Man, God's a good God. God is a good God. God is not the author of these problems. It says in James 4.1, Whence come wars and fightings among you? Well, according to the sovereignty of God, people, they all come from God. It says, Come they not hence of your own lust that war in your members? You desire and kill and try and obtain, but you, don't, you have not because you ask not. He says that wars and fightings come among you from your own lust. They don't come from God. God's not the author of all of this stuff. 